Who is Danny Ainge? Plus, Bobby Marks, ESPN's front office insider, tells us what to expect this trade season. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz NMLS 3112 Equal Housing Lender. Before we get to the stuff, giveaway time. Jordan Clarkson, signed jersey. You can get it by clicking the link in the podcast description and subscribing to the podcast. So unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. You do that. You're able to be eligible for this Jordan Clarkson signed jersey. Double zero. Check out the pictures. It looks great. You can get that jersey by helping out the show. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. You do that. You'll be eligible for the jersey. Get it done. Okay. I'll bite. Who is Danny Ainge? Googled him. He joins the team as the CEO of Jazz Basketball. News coming on Wednesday. Woj first to reporting it. And if you look at how successful teams are made, successful executives, when they're living down the street from you in Orem, kind of have to bring them into your organization. And that was the case for Danny Ainge. He took a little bit of a break. This isn't a Chris Wallace CNN Plus scenario. There was a recharge, retooling of himself, and then jumping back into the fold to get into basketball. It's almost the most important job to being an executive is managing upwards to ownership, to the group that is ultimately making the calls, rubber stamping your decisions. They have the financial commitment, so it's Danny's job and the front office's job to make sure everybody down the line is aligned on those goals, and it has been the case here for a little bit. But Danny has a track record. And as an executive, earning the moniker, Trader Danny, he's been writing a lot of things. Pointing back to the first major decision that he made in trading Antoine Walker, who was an all-stats guy, feasting in the early portions of the NBA, but didn't do much to contribute to winning. Then you see him hit the exact right note and went to back out of the Paul Pierce and Kevin Carnett experience to rebuild and retool. He fleeced Bobby Marks. He's going to talk about it with us on the podcast. But those moves also set up his town evaluation where he's drafting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Trades back from one to three, lands Tatum, and there were a lot of landmines behind him. Look at that draft. There were options that couldn't have gone as well. So his experience as a championship-winning player and executive lends itself to having a successful franchise here and into the job as the CEO of Jazz Basketball. I want you to hear from someone who knows Danny to exactly what he's like because you, if the first thing you, you see when you Google about him is competitive. And I was able to talk to somebody who knows him and here's what they had to say. Who is the most competitive on the golf course? Danny Lynch, you know, the Celtics guy. He's on fire, man. He just wants to win, win, win. I've never seen somebody so competitive, and now I understand why he's, he was such a great basketball player. What separates him? I don't know, man. Like, I played against him 
at Band and Dunes about six years ago. That was, yeah, that was the first time that I did the Crew Cup, and it was it was about five or six years ago, something like that. Um, and and I know him, and I you know he was a, a valid like four handicap or something like that, and uh, I was a five handicap, four handicap or something like this, and um, and he played lights out, man. There was there was like it was so cool to see because you know we're golfing right but he had this space that he would go to that's a quiet intense space and you can you can tell that he was just focusing um like like nothing i've ever seen and i you know it, it was really impressive just to see the way he went about you know playing his game which i bet you he, i know for a fact he had that same fire when he played basketball because i actually looked him up on on youtube and i saw and i saw how like how like 100% committed he was to that, you know? So there's a lot of people talking about Danny Ainge right now, a lot of digital ink. Nobody in the world has analyzed that move through the lens of Marvel's own Michael Pena. Ant-Man and Wasp, that's who that was. But that's the golf foursome. And that'll help explain those decisions that the team will make upwards to Ryan Smith and the ownership group. Michael Cannon-Brooks, Ryan Sweeney, Dwayne Wade, all that group, that's what it's going to be for Danny Ainge. Explaining it upward and making sure the front office is working in lockstep. They have the agent experience with Justin Zanuck, the coach. It all can be in line with this move. And the criticism is fair of his tenure in, in Boston, where he would say that they were close on getting players. I've made some jokes in the past, I'm sure, about Trader Danny, who saw the trade that went away. But the thing that you have to highlight is the fact that he's been very unemotional in the job. And when you're making tough decisions about when to rebuild or retool, sometimes you need to be unemotional. You have to be smart in the way that you're going to go and run the team. If anything, he's been pretty smart. And the track record reflects that on the basketball executive sense. He's been smart in many of the moves. In fact, he had a player named as such. On the floor, keeping it brief, because today is the Danny Ainge podcast, familiarizing him to you, listener. But Donovan's been on a stellar run of form. Zach Lowe wrote about it today in his 10 Things. This is his stat. Jazz have scored 1.12 points per possession on shots created directly out of Donovan Mitchell pick-and-roll sets. The best mark of his career and fifth best this season among 96 guys who have run at least 100 such plays, according to Second Spectrum. That via Zach Lowe. Over the eight-game stretch, he scored in 27. He's shooting 43% from three. But that's the last half of it. Him getting the playmaking, him getting out of those pick and rolls, making the right decisions, the right reads to get the Jazz offense humming. He's had so many of those passes that are so showy. He had that one underneath the basket to Joe Ingles on Wednesday. Mark Jones was going insane over his hesitation moves. His stop start is looking the best of his career. I tried to do it for the podcast. Looked through a 10-game streak where he had been playing this well. Like he's averaged 27 points before during a 
a sample size, but he hasn't had the shooting, and he hasn't had this decision-making. And Zach Lowe has been on the front end of this, saying that this has been a stretch that might be Donovan Mitchell's best regular season one of his career. And it might not be prisoner of the moment stuff. We're watching his special, and with San Antonio and Washington on a back-to-back, I wouldn't be surprised if it continues. San Antonio's the new one of the bunch. Already seen Washington last week. The Spurs are virtually the opposite of Utah. They love mid-range shots. Second most in the league that they're taking by frequency. Starting to get their offense going. And they've been 6-4 and four over the last 10. DeJounte Murray's the tip of their spear as their lead guard. He's tapered off in his mid-range shooting as of late, but he's very capable. And if he gets hot, he can have a good game because those are the shots that the Jazz like to give up. That's why those matchups against the Suns are so intriguing because Booker and Paul are great at getting those mid-range shots to the point that they're very efficient. So keep an eye out for that. As the games are stacking up, we'll be there alongside with you. And if you subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, subscribe again, you could get a Jordan Clarkson signed jersey. Once again, the giveaway. Jordan Clarkson's double zero could be yours if you subscribe to the podcast. This round ball roundup, wherever you get podcasts, five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Check us out, and you'll be eligible. 80% of the contracts that were signed in the offseason now available to be traded on December 15th. Oddly enough, the time that Danny Ainge was announced as the CEO of Jazz Basketball. So, that in mind, I had to talk to Bobby Marks. You know, ESPN front office insider. He's been on the show before. He always brings it. You're going to want to hear him on his negotiations with Danny Ainge, how he's viewed across the league, what he brings to this club, who are the names that could potentially arise as guys that the Jazz could need. You're going to listen to Bobby Marks. And if you want more Bobby, make sure to check him out. NBA on ESPN YouTube page. Guy's a YouTube star now. He's appealing to the kids. So check him out there. Check him out here. He is ESPN's front office insider on Round Ball Roundup. I'm big with the uh, 15 and 16-year-olds. My son actually is a big YouTuber. He's 15, and he said to me this morning, he says, Dad, your videos are too long. Our attention span is only like five or six minutes here. And I said, okay, I get it. I get it. So... Yeah, we went from bootleg Instagram videos to we hit we went big time to uh, to YouTube. How about that? ESPN on NBA. That's where you can find the videos. They are longer. But here's <laughs> the, here's the thing: people listen to podcasts on YouTube. That's right. So it doesn't matter the length of the videos. Now. That's right. And I said yesterday too. Um, I did a, a 17 minute video. We just kind of went around the league, and I'm like, people see me on TV as this like straight and narrow guy you know he's just kind of reading numbers and going through and i said like well here like you can kind of come into my office i'll have fun with you you know we'll do you know you can see kind of a a little bit of a different side of me and it's been um it's been fun you know it's been fun just kind of taking breaking news and just throwing it up there for sometimes it's four or five minutes sometimes it's a little bit longer check it out espn on nba on youtube bobby marks youtube extraordinaire Let's get in first to the personal experience that you have. I want to take people behind the scenes into how a trade is made and you have the big one that has happened regarding this franchise, the Utah Jazz with Darren Williams. Where does that start? Where does a trade begin 
you don't even know if a player is available. Just take me behind the scenes where it all starts. Well, I think there's two different ways to look at it. There's sometimes it's the disgruntled player who wants out. Um, that's kind of you get word from his agent uh, or certainly when you're calling around the league, whether it, whether it was Darren in, um, in Utah back in 2012 or if it was Carmel Anthony or Dwight Howard, players like that. It's, you know, with, uh, with Darren, um, you know, when we did that trade, that was really a, something that happened in, the, in, in a 48-hour window. Right. It was kind of um, we had um, basically taken six months out of our lives to explore a Carmel Anthony trade that really started in September of 2010. And then 60 different scenarios later ended up with him being traded to New York. So those are I don't think we see those anymore. I mean, social media would be going crazy these days if we saw these six month prolonged you know, back and forth kind of negotiation that gets out in the public. Um, and at that time, you know, Masai Ujiri, who had just taken over, who just took over in Denver, was new to all this, um, really wanted to kind of flush out the process, um, was not rushed to do anything, and, and played it out where he kind of optimized the most he can get as far as Carmelo. On the other hand, there's trades where, you know, we have a player that's either is lost for the season or we need shooting off our bench. I said it on one of these YouTube podcasts where it's, it's based on your relationships with people in the league, where you, you know what their depth charts are, you know the contract status. If you have a player like um, back in 2014 and Marcus Thornton, who was playing in Sacramento at a time and we needed shooting off our bench, we had two expiring contracts and Jason T Terry, Reggie Evans, we had some uh, second round picks where we were able to, you know, make a deal happened in within 10 hours. You know, it's basically, Hey, this is what we're looking at. You know what? That makes sense. Let me bring it to ownership. Those are easy, right? Those are the easy type deals. The hard ones are when you're getting involved with three or four team deals um, where you have basically have to get everybody kind of on the same, uh, on the same page. But, you know, going back to, to Darren, we had found out that the Knicks we're going to get Carmelo Anthony right around um, February of 2011, right after the all-star break. But then it, the all-star break was after uh, the trade deadline was after the all-star break where now it's, we flip-flopped it. And I remember um, walking up into Billy King's office um, that Monday, the deadline was Thursday and we knew Carmelo was out and him saying like, what do you think about Darren Williams? There's a chance that he could become available. Billy had a relationship with Kevin O'Connor um, back from for a long time, Billy and Kevin worked together. Billy made a phone call. He was available. Uh, they worked out as far as what the compensation was. Let's sleep on it, right? Let's sleep on it where nowadays, I don't know if you can sleep on it with how social media and how word gets out. And by that next morning, we were pulling Derek Favors off the court. Um, you know, Der uh, Devin Harris, we were pulling up. We had practiced that next morning. And that's how the deal got done there. So some are prolonged, as I said, some happen within a 48 hour window. Um, you know, um, the Terrence Williams trade um, from a couple of uh, 11 years ago, the Rockets needed a versatile player who can play multiple positions. We were looking for draft picks to recoup and, and a deal was able to be made. How looped in is ownership in this entire scenario? Looped in like totally because not only is there a component 
when you're looking at it on the court, right? How does it impact you on the court? There's a financial component there. So you have ownership involved. You have your CFO involved. If you're taking on more money, if you're including money in a deal, um, you know, if do we have $5 million at our expense to put in a deal? That's payable within, I'm, most teams do, but are payable within, you know, two different installments. Are we, are we taking on money and now our luxury tax bill is going from $40 million to $50 million. So ownership is, is involved. I don't know if ownership, you know, at least for us, it wasn't involved when we were just having um, conversations with teams because you're calling around, you're talking to every team, you know, um, you know, whether it be, you know, Ben Simmons, players like that, who you don't really have a chance at, but you're still making the phone call. You get ownership involved when you think there might be something there, right? Where it might make sense for, so you make the phone call, you say, hey, this is kind of what we're working on. We could get there. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And then you kind of bring in all the different, you know, all the different, you know, um, whether it be your CFO or some within other people within the organization. Because ultimately it is their call of what you do, they can rubber stamp things. They are, yeah, and I'll give you a great scenario, a great example. In 2014, we had a huge luxury tax bill. I think at the time, I think it still is, and I think Golden State's going to break it this year. Um, we were owed, we owed like 99, $100 million in luxury tax. We had a salary, a payroll of like 90 plus, which back then was huge, right? And we had a, um, we had a, a deal on the table with the Lakers to get Jordan Hill. Uh, we needed a forward. He was making like $3.5 million. I think we had a trade exception and it would have cost us like $21 million extra. Right. And so that's a deal you bring to ownership and they stamped, they said, if you think it helps basketball wise, do it. We, we involved Jason Kidd at the time <clears throat> who was the head coach. And we said to him, basically, are you, would you, are you going to play him? Like, is he going to be part of the rotation? And Jason was like, I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. He might be nice to have in the playoffs if we have an injury. I don't know how many minutes. And, and we made a decision like, you know what? We could probably better spend that $21 million, although ownership had approved it already, in a different direction. And we didn't wind up doing a deal even though they okayed it. Let's add that then. The coach component, how linked is that in your decision-making as well? Has, it has to be. Um, I mean, the one thing you don't want to do is get do a deal, give up a lot, and all of a sudden that player's sitting right. on the uh, is sitting on the bench, and you're like, oh my god, because you can make a trade, but really your hands are tied when it comes to you're not going to run on the court and um, you know say, you know what, Jason, I think um, Jordan Hill really needs to play today. You know, like it's almost like the movie Moneyball, right? Moneyball, yep. Yeah, where they basically <laughs> just trade guys because you know the, uh, the Art Howe is going to play them, right? So you have to be really synced in with your coach as far as what his role is going to be, especially if you're giving up a lot. And the last thing you, you want to do is make a deal and that player doesn't fit in that. You might think he fits, but he doesn't actually. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out at First Colony Mortgage. 
Well, I think anytime you have someone who played in the league and played on championship teams, um, coached in the league, um, you know, certainly, as you mentioned, an executive in this league for a long time, he kind of hits all the different, you know, he checks the boxes as far as from an experience standpoint, where whether it be his relationship with Quinn, where he sees things because he's been in that seat, his relationship with players on the court, Donovan, Rudy, um, guys, Mike, because he's played, he's been on the court and certainly how he relates with, um, with, with Justin and ownership, because he's, he had been doing it for 18, 19 years in Boston. They've, they've been in it. They've been in the, the hot seat. Um, this jazz team is not a rebuild retool, right? This is a win now championship team. So I think it's a little bit different than where Danny was when uh, post Pierce Garnett, you know, certainly there is a, uh, an experience from my standpoint, a bad experience as far as, uh, uh, you know, certainly we made the Boston Brooklyn trade um, that kind of, um, you know, I guess jump started their rebuild or retool. I mean, but at the end of the day, Danny Ainge still had to pick Jalen Brown. He still had to pick Jason Tatum. He still had to make a trade with Philadelphia where he was swapping, I think, one for three and picked up some other assets there. Um, so I think there's a there's a track a strong track record from identifying talent, at least um, where you have two foundation pieces. You know, Brown wasn't a the top player in in the uh, in the draft, and, he, and they were criticized when they 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 picked them. I think everyone wanted Chris Dunn at the time, and Chris Dunn is you know now out of the league here. So. I think he just adds just another layer um, to to this really. I think the strong this front office is really strong as is. I've as I've, we've done podcasts before. You know, I've known Justin for a long time. Um, you know, certainly I, I knew uh, I've known Dennis for a long time. Um, but I just think you, if you can add more experience, especially for an owner who is new to this, this is all new. Like like when you buy a team, and I know there he's. Uh, I know Ryan's a year in. Like Adam Silver doesn't give you like an operate like a manual. Here you go. This is how you're supposed to run the Utah Jazz, or this is how you're supposed to run the, um, you know, the an NBA team here. It's like you're basically learning like, like, like trial and error here, man. Like different situation, just different situations that you're put in. You have a disappointing loss in the um, Western Conference Finals. The competitive in the competitor in the year wants to blow it up, right? Oh my God, like. Sometimes you like other players better than your own players here, where you have somebody like Danny, you have someone like Justin, who's been there, right? Okay. Let's talk, walk you off the ledge. Let's show you kind of how we can improve. Let's show you how we can do some trimming around the edges type signings, whether it be Rudy Gay or Hassan Whiteside. And we can be really good if we keep this roster intact. And I just think Danny brings that that level of experience where, um, you know, him dealing with ownership in Boston, um, him being in the luxury tax before in Boston. Certainly it's, this is new territory for for Utah the last um, the last couple of years here. And um, I don't think there's you know, I've, I've, I've seen like, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. I, I don't see that. I think I think the, the more voices, the better, because I think there's just different um people have been in different situations before. And I think, you know, the more experts here, the better. Although I think when you get to the decision-making, everybody's got to be on the same page, right? You kind of can't dip, drift off as far as where, where you, what you see. It is a good pairing between him and, 
in uh, Justin because you have the player coach and executive and also obviously Justin's agent experience as something that they can both rely on each other to make those big decisions. You alluded to it, but what type of negotiator is Danny Ainge? who has earned the moniker of Trader Danny. <laughs> yeah, I've always joked. I think this was post-Nets when I was doing either um, podcasts with the Woj or you know my nemesis, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. I said, <laughs> whenever you see 617 coming in, well, maybe it's a different area code. You're like, oh, no, and stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's, I think Danny probably learned a lot from Boston as far as when to kind of push your chips into the middle, when to pull back. One to when to maybe take an aggressive um, stance um, as far as doing a deal. Um, you know, we when we did the the the, um, the Celtic trade, you know, I dealt with Mike Zarin, and basically the two of us dealt, and then that was brought up to the, the front office, and Danny kind of knew what the price point was going to be for them, and kind of really stood his ground here. Where I do think it's a little bit different, and then as I said in Boston, because you know that you've got Rudy on a, you know, super max contract Donovan's on year one of this rookie extension, your, your core pieces um, are Mike's just signed a new contract are intact here. So it, and they're not sitting on like, you know, Boston was always sitting on these treasure chest of draft assets, right? It's a little bit different where with Utah, you've got picks going out, right? You've got a pick going out to OKC. You've got a pick going out to Memphis. So you're looking to, you're looking for those kind of back end deals, as I call them trimming, singles doubles you don't need to make a blockbuster deal to get this team in the top three in the western conference because they already are what are those available teams that might be sellers now that could have players come up that might be of interest for the jazz well i think it's going to be interesting as far as you kind of just glance at the standings right you look at the standings kind of who's out of it i mean about two weeks ago i think 70 percent of the league was over 500 um, there are teams like you would look at the standings and you say, you know what? Sacramento is a seller. Well, no, they're sitting at 10. Uh, they're a playing team right now. And they haven't made the playoffs since what, like 05, 06. So if there is a priority there to get in the playoffs, you're not selling off Harrison Barnes and Darren Fox and getting draft picks. I think, I think you'd have a revolt from that Sacramento fan base. But when you look at teams like Detroit, when you look at teams like Orlando, certainly where um, they've got, you know, veterans, Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, six, six man type. I don't know if Utah needs more shooting off the bench. I mean, they're nine, you know, this team is nine deep when you add Hassan, Rudy, Jordan, and Joe, right? Like, I mean, you've, you've got enough there. Um, so that's really what you look at, you know, is it a team like Houston who struggled, got off the, you know, went on a winning streak? has kind of, you know, fallen back into the pack here. We've got a lot of veterans on each contract, but you kind of just, you know, most deals will, won't happen until you get into end of January and of February where a team actually knows they are totally out of it. Not Utah though. I mean, they usually get their work done in December. They do. They always do. It's and they that's smart because, you know, when they did, they did the Clarkson deal right before Christmas and mm -hmm. they were done, right? Like that's, yeah. you know, you jump the market, you do your, your, your trade deadline work in, um, in December there. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's, you know, relationships where, you know, George, uh, Justin and Dennis at the time had a comfort level with Kobe Altman, right? Like, because mm -hmm. they had a, they had done a deal prior. I think if the LeBron, when LeBron was still in Cleveland, they did that big trade 
um, a few years ago when I think Utah, Derek went, Rose went to Utah. It was part of this big, that big deal where there's already, and that's why I go back to the trades. Like there's more of a comfort level relationship building where like, you know what? I'm going to call um, Sean Marks in Brooklyn. We've done deals before. I know what his price point is going to be and stuff. We, you know, we're not going to spend days negotiating as far as what the package would be. What teams in the West can make moves that can shake up the standings? And I think everybody points to immediately Golden State as having something that could potentially wreck everybody's plans when it comes to the postseason. Yeah, but they never do. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they Bob Myers doesn't make trades. You know, they don't they during those great teams, they never made a trade during the regular season. They went like five years last year. They made two trades at the deadline and they were basically tax saving moves. They do not make trades. I think Phoenix is interesting to me just because they've got the Sarage contract and they've got Jalen Smith. So you have about 12 million there. You can get now you can get up to 15, 16 million in salary, maybe to take back. They're well below the luxury tax. So there's not going to be, um, you know, they're not going to be in that position. They can move a, a future, you know, a couple future ones. They're interesting. I think I think Memphis is like the wild card for me. I really do. I mean, they're sitting in four. I think their separation for from where the three teams are in the West um, com- compared to where they are. But man, they got a lot of things there. Where whether it be draft picks, they've got expiring contracts. Of course, you know guys like Ja and Jaron guy won't be traded. You know, certainly Desmond Bain. I think teams would love to have, but you know. What does he get you? I don't think Jalen Brown is in play, right? But you're looking at deals like that. Bradley Beal, I'm sure they would love to have Bradley Beal, but I don't see he's in play. But Memphis has got a lot of, um, they've got, they kind of check the boxes on a lot of different things here. And could they make a deal that gets them into it? Now there's a big four instead of a, you know, a big three in the West. What are those conversations now where you're trying to determine if you are a buyer yeah. or if you are a seller? Or, you know, I is this team ready? Right. It's like baking a cake. Is the, is the cake ready to come out of the oven or do we need to leave it in for another season here? And I think teams have to be careful thinking your window is open for three or four years. I think Denver, um, you know, certainly Porter Murray. Now they're, you know, Jokic and Gordon. Right. And they, and they did it the right way. They, they took an aggressive approach last year when they got Aaron Gordon and then Jamal Murray blows out his knee. Right. Porter Jr. on that extension where a really good young core probably window closes a little bit could reopen if these guys get back healthy here so I think it's like if you're Cleveland right Cleveland's a great feel-good story do we get a little greedy here and trade away a first round pick or Colin Sexton to kind of get better significantly this year although it kind of could hurt us two years from now. I think those are the kind of the discussions that teams are going to uh, going to have as far as, Hey, we've overachieved this year, but you know, it's like you're playing poker, right? You just walk away from the table as far as what you have, or you just kind of sit there and maybe you can kind of build up your chips. Is there somebody dedicated in the room to being that guy who says, I don't know if this is real. You want a bad cop. Yeah. Bad cop. Yes. There is a bad cop in there and um, every team needs one. Because I think if, especially when you're in, in the middle of the year and you're looking at the standings and you're in that win now mode where you, you have to take a big picture approach to, uh, to everything. 
it's such a strange job being a general manager and executive in basketball. You have the draft coming up that you have to keep on your timeline, free agency, this trade season's ever evolving. It's a difficult job that these people do, and they, they're they always on. They have to always be on working on these multiple timelines. Well, now you th- and now you throw the COVID factor in, right? That teams <laughs> have been that. dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, life was easier pre-COVID for these front offices, right? Compared to where we are now, where you might get a phone call that so three players are in the health and safety protocols. And now you're looking at your hardship exception list. And now you got to go to ownership because we're already in a luxury tax. And can we sign a player that's going to cost four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, right? Like an extra. That's you are we're in a different world right now where it was basically kind of managing the roster trades. You had 15 players. We can't add a guy. Maybe there's a 10 day guy out there in mid January. Now we're looking at like keep our fingers crossed that we have nobody entering health and safety protocols. Well, and with those exceptions now earlier for 10 day guys, right? Yeah, the exceptions, if you have it, uh, you know, like Brooklyn signed Langston Galloway because they had a, a available accounts, it uh, it's a 10 day contract although it doesn't count as one of your allotted 10 days. So like when the fifth comes of January, you can sign a maximum of two 10 days per player. So, uh, so if Langston Galloway um, signs um, another 10 day, when this, when the, on January 5th, only one will count. So the ones they're signing now towards the exception doesn't count. Um, but yeah, it's um, I, I just put it out there last year. We had nine players that signed hardship exceptions. We're going to hit that number pretty soon here. I mean, we're going to hit that number. We might hit the number probably by this weekend. It's amazing. It's amazing what, what we're dealing with and, and how the NBA moves forward with this. With that, YouTube extraordinaire, ESPN front office insider, Bobby Marks, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it for having me on. All right.